So not too long ago, I held this workshop at WPPI where I gave my top 30 creative strategies to get photography clients as fast as possible without paid ads. And it killed it. It sold out. It was incredible. I've been sitting on it for a little while and I've decided to bring it back, to bring it back and to give it directly to you. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to pay anything either. I just want to help you grow your business each day for three days. I'm going to share with you 10 ultra unique creative ways to attract dream clients to your photography business without spending a bunch of money. I'm calling this thing the three day client blitz and it is pure gold for three days. I'm going to give you so many creative ideas to get clients in your business right now. Just go to sixfigurephotography.com forward slash blitz six S I X six figure your photography.com forward slash blitz b l i t z i can't wait to give you some incredible ideas you're listening to the six figure photography podcast where we teach you how to grow your photography business if you need the show notes or want to check out the latest blog post visit sixfigurephotography.com now here's your host ben hartley Hey guys, it's Ben Hartley here with episode eight of the Six Figure Photography Podcast. And today I have a very special episode for you. Before we get into that, I want to talk about who supports the Six Figure Photography Podcast. I want to start off talking about Fundy Designer. Fundy is one of the most important tools that we use in our business. We are able to design 100, 120 page albums in under 20 minutes. We get to design these books proof them, and then sell to our clients all within the same system. Fundy Designer has revolutionized the way that we do business. It is the only template-free album design software out there. Next up, I want to talk about the Photobooth Supply Company. You guys, introducing a Photobooth has been one of the most profitable decisions that we have made in our business. The Photobooth Supply Company, hands down, makes the best photo booth uh, that I've actually ever seen. I love that it's American-made, and I love how compact and easy it is to operate. It is, it's simple, it's beautifully designed, elegant, and it can, again, just skyrocket your profits. There's no better option out there. All right, guys, we're going to jump right in. I am so excited about today's episode um, because one of the biggest areas I think photographers can get value from is learning more about social dynamics or how people interact with other people. This is especially important because we provide a service, right? We deal with people. We meet with clients and we're not just selling our services, but we're selling ourselves. That's why in this episode, I'll be interviewing Jordan Harbinger. He's from the Art of Charm podcast, one of the largest podcasts on iTunes. Jordan is an expert in social dynamics and he has co-founded one of the top ranking podcasts in iTunes. It teaches people how to improve their life and business through social skills. His podcast has been downloaded like millions of times. He's met, interviewed, and coached some of the most successful people on the planet. And today, we're going to talk to him about overcoming limiting beliefs, networking strategies, how to build confidence, and how to quickly establish rapport with potential clients, and tons more awesome stuff. All right, let's get into it. Enjoy this episode with Jordan Harbinger from The Art of Charm. All right, everyone, we are here with Jordan Harbinger from The Art of Charm, and I want to start from the beginning, really for people who aren't familiar with your podcast, Jordan. Can you tell us a bit more about who you are, what you do, 
why you started The Art of Charm and really how it's grown. Sure. Uh, that's like seven questions. <laughs> you know, I yeah, wanted sure. to start you off like, with like, <laughs> just like a bam, 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 just to see how you would do. Hey, look, we're going to ease into this. Answer these seven things at the same time. <laughs> so talk, tell me the first thing you want me to get and we'll take it piece by piece. Look, man, I, you know, I'm a fast thinker, but I'm a, I'm a slow I'm a slow learner, so you need to speak slowly and give, give it to me one piece at a time. For sure, man. Let me let me go back here. For starters, just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. So my name is Jordan Harbinger. I co-founded The Art of Charm years ago. Uh, this company, The Art of Charm, teaches people networking skills, advanced social skills. There's a kind of a common misconception out there that we're like teaching dating stuff because we originally started – in that marketing realm, but with all these like pickup guys, and then it just got way too weird. So we bounced like five years ago, but uh, it's interesting how that stigma can stick with you. And we did it because, or we started the company because when I worked on wall street as an attorney, I had my quote unquote mentor. His name was Dave. He was not really a mentor. He was just the guy who hired me and we were supposed to have this mentorship program at work on in, in Wall Street, and I was still a student at the time in Michigan and Michigan Law, and we kind of, you know, I'd spend the summer there getting wined and dined, and that was my chief complaint was I never saw Dave. All my other friends there were going to see Blue Man Group, and they were going out and hanging out and doing all this cool stuff, and I hadn't done squat. So one day HR said, how's your mentorship program going? And I said, I don't have one. I'm, you know, wow, 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 woe is me. And she made Dave take me out for coffee, which, by the way, not a great way to get ahead at work, telling HR on your boss, saying, <laughs> in touch to you, not a good plan, just pro tip for those of you who have bosses. And uh, and he, the, later that week or that month or whatever, took me to Starbucks, which really was lame. Like, you know, everybody else is going to McCormick and Schmick and Blue Man Group, and I'm at Starbucks. And he's clacking away on his Blackberry and he's like, all right, man, ask me anything, thinking I'm going to say something like, so what about derivative instruments, blah, 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 whatever. Instead, I said, how come you're never in the office if we're supposed to be billing hours? Everybody says you make a lot of money and you're a partner here, but I don't get when you do work. Hmm. And he was like, at this point, I just figured I was getting fired. So why mince words? <laughs> and and he puts down his BlackBerry and he leans in. And at this point, I'm just l looking for the exit. <laughs> and and he says, you know, that's interesting that people say that. Honestly, I bring in all the deals and I bring in all the business. And that's why, that's why I make more money than, than everyone else uh, at the firm, all the other partners. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of amazing. Right, because I, I thought, wow, what do you mean you bring in all the business? So he's not working from home. This is a guy from Brooklyn with a tan. What's going on? <laughs> you know? So he's not working from home. He simply doesn't need to do the same thing as everyone else. And I had sort of learned this the hard way, or the opposite. I learned the hard way. A few weeks prior, I was going up to my office and I had brought some girl with me or whatever. And it was like Saturday, one o'clock in the morning, Wall Street. And here I am thinking like, I'm going to bring this girl up to my office. We're going to bring up a bottle of wine. It's going to be so badass. I'm going to look so cool, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Show up and everyone's at work. Remember, Saturday, 1 a.m. So I got, I did what everybody else would do in that situation and ran away before somebody could spot me and give me an assignment. <laughs> and I remember having trouble sleeping that night because I thought like, 
what is happening? Are they closing a deal? Was I supposed to be there? I'm searching through my email. And then the next, uh, the next workday, I ask this senior associate, hey, man, is there a deal closing? How come everybody was there over the weekend, 1 a.m., Saturday night? You know, I slipped in here. I saw everybody, including you, and I was like, you know, I ran out of here. And he goes, man, we're always here on the weekend at that time. I mean, it might have been a little later than normal, but everybody is working six, seven days a week. And to be up at 1 a.m. on Saturday still in the office, not that unusual. And this isn't a startup. This is a law firm. I'm not getting equity. I'm getting a salary, you know, and a bonus. And it was generous. But look, this isn't exciting work. This is first-year associate law stuff. So I didn't get it. And I had that rude awakening. And that speaking of losing sleep, that's what I thought my future was going to be. So when I heard Dave say, look, I bring in all the business so I don't have to even worry about showing up to the office, I was like, I need to learn that. Mm. How do I get that skill set? And that's what I had devoted the next few years to learning, which was networking, Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people, psychology of influence, you know, sales this, Zig Ziglar that. And it was really incomplete because it wasn't nuanced enough to teach. It was just kind of like, give other people what they want and you'll get what you want, or uh, which is great and totally makes sense, but isn't how, how do you even begin to do that? And Or something like, look people in the eye and give them a warm handshake. <laughs> That's a great first impression. And I'm like, look, if you're getting fired, if you're not – making sales in your company, if you're not getting promoted to the top partner level, it's probably not because you didn't have a warm handshake. It's probably not that. The problem is you can't say, oh, the problem that you have, Don, is that you're weird and you're shifty and it makes people uncomfortable and therefore (laughs) they associate you with that and therefore they assume you're not trustworthy and that your competence level is low and you've got to work on nonverbal communication, blah, 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 if you're going to fix that and practice for three years, otherwise you're going to get overlooked for the rest of your life. They can't do that. It's a book. It's one-way communication. It's not coaching. Mm -hmm. It also doesn't sound good. It makes people feel bad because they've got a lot of work to do. There's no quick fix. So that became what I focused on because I knew people that were well-networked, and it wasn't just because they. some of them were born into it. But for some of them, it wasn't that. It was they had this weird X factor that people use. And just the, the term X factor in itself shows you that nobody knows what the F is going on. Yep. They just call it the, you know, the secret sauce. They got the X factor. And the fact is it's easier to just find somebody that has it and hire that person <laughs> than it is to try to teach it to any of your employees or any of your team members. So even, even the central intelligence agency, who by the way, sends a lot of operators to the art of charm. A lot of those People are recruited from, you know, oh, this guy's got what it takes. We can mold this guy. This guy does have what it's, you know, this person, you know, we can take him and train him in this way. They even have to sift for it because it's just so damn hard to teach. Now, the the fact is, if you're willing to put in the work, you can get there. But it's very, very difficult. And so that difficult trek, uphill battle, whatever you want to call it, is what we teach. Yeah, man, that's incredible. I freaking love that. And I feel like this is why I wanted to have you on because, you know, photographers are always just looking to other photographers um, to try to figure out business. And other photographers usually don't know business. They don't know how to how to relate to other people and, and how to interact with clients. And they know how to, to take pictures, you know. Um, and so this is what I'm so excited about. 
I want to talk a little bit about first impressions. As photographers, we are, you know, it's a service-based industry. We're always face-to-face with our clients. In order to book someone, it really has to come from us uh, in a very direct manner. And so um, maybe I'm not expecting a a complete answer, but do you have any great recommendations, any suggestions on, on how to make a great first impression? Yeah, the... The idea behind a first impression is that people make a certain judgment of you when they see you, right? No big, complicated definition there. What people don't realize is you make impressions whether or not you want to because you're communicating whether or not you want to be. So this is the primary mistake that people make because they think, okay, well, I'm at this, you know, networking event or at this bar or in this office or in this blah, 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 social situation. And I don't really know what to do. So I don't want to say anything. I'm going to stand by and observe people. Maybe I'll even hide in the corner or maybe I'll talk to my friends for a little a bit or, you know, pretend I'm looking at something on my phone because I don't want to make a bad first impression. That is your first impression. <laughs> It's, it's when you become a blip on other people's radar, not when you open your mouth and decide, all right, first impression time. That's not why. And to put it in kind of a dating context, because those are always kind of funny, imagine that somebody, is, a group of women is at a bar. There's three girls. They're showing vacation photos on someone's phone. There's a bunch of guys that walk in. They slink down the stairs. They get the table in the corner. They pretend to be watching the basketball game. They're looking at the girls here and there. The girl catches one of them doing it. doesn't matter. They're having some drinks. The guy's standing there with his hands in his pockets or, or, or just being normal, whatever, hanging out with his friends. Looks over at the girls. They kind of notice again, but he's not quite ready yet. Then one of the brave guys goes over to the bar to get a round of shots, Look, gets a closer look at the girls, right? And finally, the, you know, maybe they smile at him, maybe he smiles back, whatever, goes back to his friends. Then two of the girls go to the bathroom and one stays to you know dive into her phone while saving the seats and washing the purses or whatever not an uncommon scenario and that's when the guy decides okay now i'm going to go over there and i'm going to say hey what's going on what are you drinking or something or even just how you doing tonight even something totally innocuous not creepy that's not his first impression his first impression was coming down the stairs into the bar going into the corner making eye contact, chickening out, pretending to watch the basketball game, having three or four drinks before being social, maybe not even having that great of a time with his friends, then sending his buddy over to get a closer look. That was the first impression. So a lot of guys in the situation are like, man, these girls, you know, they're really tough. Or, oh, those girls don't want to be social. The fact is they've already made up their mind about you. In mm-hmm. fact, they did it 15 minutes ago. Now you're just wasting their time. Yeah, right? I love and, that. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, just the idea that I feel like we often think that the first time we open our mouth is when the first impression occurs. And that's just totally not true. It happens in business, too. These examples are less fun, so I talk about them less. But (laughs) it's like, you know, you're up there speaking on stage and you see some people looking at you as they should be because you're giving a talk. And then later on in the cocktail party, you're talking with some of the attendees and some of them come up and say great talk. And some of them are kind of hanging around those people and they're hanging around, they're hanging around, they're hanging around. And then you're thinking, okay, well that person's going to say something or maybe I'll say something to them. And they kind of disappear and reappear and disappear and reappear. And then after a while, you're just thinking, is this person going to say anything to me? Did I, did I, you know, step on her foot earlier. What's the deal? Like I'm kind of, she's not really saying anything or he's not really saying anything. And it becomes a little awkward. And then it, 
I can't, maybe this is just for speaking and maybe I'm speaking out of turn here just because the position that I tend to be in a lot, but after a while I start to go, oh, I really hope that that person doesn't come up and say anything because it might be really an awkward conversation because it's taken a long time. Sure. You know, and it's, it's, I, I then start having second thoughts about starting the conversation and saying, Hey, how are you? You know, I often will do that just to sort of break the ice. And, but sometimes those, the people that will not engage end up being, it ends up being kind of a long drawn out, really strange interaction. So I tend to filter in the people that just put the effort forth to come up and say hi. And that happens to a lot of folks in business too, even folks that work in offices. You know, they don't want to say hi to the boss. They don't want to say hi to the boss. They don't want to say hi to the manager. They don't want to say hi to people in the other department. And then after like three months, it's weird, right? It's like, what do I do? Just knock on the door and introduce myself? I've been here since January. <laughs> it's April. You know, what am I going to do? And and that happens a lot. And I get emails like that a lot from show fans of The Art of Charm that are like, hey, you know, I just started listening to your show and I realized, oh, crap, you know, I haven't said anything to my boss's boss ever. And I've worked here for a year. You know, I at the Christmas party, I probably smiled at him or something. And you know, what do I do? And the answer is, you know what, you're just going to have to maybe introduce yourself by email or knock on the door one day or, you know, take a company event to take the chance to do that and just admit, look, I didn't want to bother you because I know you're a busy guy, but introduce yourself. It's tough, right? It can be really tough. But the earlier you do it, you have more control over that. Because if you don't make that first impression, if you don't take that communication and do it intentionally, you're doing it by accident. And I don't think anybody here listening is going to think, oh, well, when I'm not paying attention and whatever I'm communicating then, that's fine as a first impression. Because usually it's like your head's down in a romance novel or you're plugging away at your email, at your desk. You know, that's is that a good first impression? I mean, it's mediocre, neutral at best. But imagine what you could do if you really were able to take control of that and hold the reins the whole time. Then, you know, the ice would be broken. That person might think a certain way about you. That's great. You know, what happens to the – bring it back to the dating context. What happens to the guy that walks in and sees the girls and comes right up and says – you guys look like you guys look like trouble, or you guys look great tonight. What are you drinking? Even if they're like, "Oh, excuse me, girls' night out," it's fine, right? Because they think, "Wow, that guy just you know walked right up here." Three hours later, he's hanging out with his friends, and you know the girls are still there. You can try again, right? The same thing, and it goes for the office. You walk up and you introduce yourself to your boss's boss's boss or whatever, and you see him again at another event. You can reintroduce yourself, and it's far less weird than if he had never seen you, but kind of has seen you every day and has nothing to say about you. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I, I want to talk maybe then about more uh, if, if there's anything that we can do as, as prep, like before. If we know we're going to be going into these situations where – we're going to be putting a, a first impression out to someone who really matters, whether it's uh, a client, um, whether it's someone who you work for um, in this situation, maybe it's a bride on the wedding day or, or someone who you're trying to book. Um, and so is there anything that you would recommend doing before actually, you know, meeting with a potential client before putting yourself out there? Yeah. Uh, well, it depends. I mean, are we talking about researching a specific person or are we talking about generally looking good first impression wise let's maybe target it directly to our audience who um let's say like a client meeting right so at this point you know with, with photographers we've we've exchanged an email we've gotten someone on the phone and we're setting up an appointment here to see if we can actually book them for uh, a high dollar photo shoot appointment sure so 
this is who's the client again specifically? I'm not a photographer. No, so it's all good. Sure. Well, let's say it's a bride and a groom. Okay, so if it's a, if it's just wedding stuff, it's a little bit maybe makes less sense uh, to to do tons of research. But I would say research them anyway because. What you might not know is what if this person is the CEO of a company and they've got 8 billion headshots already? You know, they might have a different opinion of photographers. They might not really – they might be uncomfortable in front of the camera. It depends how the other pictures look, right? It depends. I think as a photographer, you can probably tell somebody who's a reluctant subject versus somebody who's really looks great and outgoing in photos. Is that is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean even on this, on this topic right here, like I always Facebook – uh, clients leads right before I actually meet with them. And, and it has paid off so many times. Like there'll be times when it'll be an actual photographer who happens to be getting married. Right. And so my whole pitch to them is entirely different. It, if they're just, you know, someone right off the streets or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, or even yeah, honestly, even like understanding like the, the, uh, the social class of the individual that I'm about to be meeting with. Like, for example, if I'm going to meet with like the wide receiver for, uh, you know, the dolphins, I'm going to be doing something a little bit differently than I'm, if I'm meeting with like, you know, a middle school, um, teacher. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If you're talking with another photographer who happens to be getting married, the, you, it's it's not insulting per se, but you don't want to go, so the big camera that I've got here, this is called DSLR, and the little camera I've got here is called a point-and-shoot. He'll be like, look, I want XYZ type of lens. I think this is going to give a little more depth of field. I don't know what any of these terms mean, by the way. <laughs> you're doing pretty good. You know what I mean? And, and you're going to go, uh, oh, oh, yeah, okay. And instead of him going, oh, yeah, he just didn't know I was a photographer, he's going to go, that guy doesn't know squat. What a knucklehead. But if you walk in and you go, look, I know you're a photographer, so I was wondering if you wanted uh, a DSLR or if you wanted me to bring a bunch of point-and-shoots for your guests to run around taking photos. That's kind of a creative thing we've done. And do you want uh, you know, blah, blah, blah type of lighting or do you want this type of angle? And how many of these XYZ type portraits do you need on the backdrop, which will also include – he's like, oh, good. This guy's speaking my language. Thank goodness. You know, somebody – finally, a photographer who's as good as me, right? That's what he's thinking. Sure. And the same thing will go, like you said, for social class. In fact, when I was interviewing for Wall Street Jobs, one of the things that I did was look for YouTube videos or any kind of recorded talk that I could get from the partners that were going to hire me because all these all the people in law school were like, oh, you need to do research. So what did everybody do? They went to the homepage of the firm and they were like, oh, Proskauer LLP, I see you've been doing – litigation and sports management for the since 1873 <laughs> like who gives a crap right no one they yeah. know you saw that on the homepage you just look like a hack but if you find audio of that person talking in in your well when i as you say when i find audio of that person talking I can choose different vocabulary nuanced ways of speaking one of the things that i did during one of the interviews he said, why do you want to work here? Because he was from Brooklyn and he had like kind of a Brooklyn accent, you know? <laughs> and I didn't imitate a Brooklyn accent. I know people are like, oh no, this is going to go horribly. <laughs> what happened was I said, you know, I interviewed at a lot of other firms and one thing I didn't like was nobody seemed like they were kind of down to earth. Everybody was from another state and moved to New York and kind of just grew up with money. And to be frank, I'm comfortable with it, but I don't like to work around it if I can work with people that are more 
salt of the earth. And he goes, well, I'll tell you what, you're coming to the right place. All of us partners, we all grew up here in Brooklyn, lower Manhattan, other guys from Staten Island and the other guys in Jersey. You know, we're all Italian. We all grew up around here. We got family values, da, 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 da. And I was like, great. Sounds like a good fit for me. But what I was really saying was, I'm a really good fit for you. You know what I mean? And that got me hired pretty much right away. I mean, they called me before I got off the plane with a job offer on my way home. And I, you know, you can't really get in their head as to why. They could have just been desperate and would have, were hiring anybody that didn't steal <laughs> pens from the desk at reception. But there were a lot of people that said, oh, yeah, you know, these partners thought that this went really well and this partner thought that went really well. And these are things that you can research really easily. And I, I know some people are going, oh, that's so inauthentic. You're just giving people what they want to hear. But I'm, I'm sorry, at some level of sales, you, you have to be prepared to pitch properly. Mm-hmm. And an element of doing that is not pretending to be somebody else. I do like the values that I said in, in that interview. I just probably wouldn't have said it in the exact same way if everybody was from London, which is what it was when I interviewed at a British law firm. The last thing you want to do is say, you know, I hate that nobody's from New York. It really bothers me. It did bother me, but I liked other things. You know, you don't want, you don't sell a car going, you know what? This car, ah, it's not that great. I mean, it still runs and it's comfortable, but yeah, it's got some rust on the underside. You want to sell it. You have to be able to sell yourself. If you're not comfortable doing that, you're screwed and nothing that you and I tell <laughs> say on this show is going to help you. Amen, right? man. Amen. I mean, I, gosh, I was reading something last night and I forget the quote and I'm going to totally botch it. Uh, but it, the, the line is essentially like we are all influencing in some way or another. Um, it's just we have to make the decision of how we're going to do it. Are we going to take control of the way that we influence people? Uh, or are we just going to just kind of like, you know, half-ass it and see what happens? Um, like taking control of these situations makes a huge difference. And you're right. It's not being fake, um, but it's being intentional. It's Exactly. There's a total – there's a huge difference between being inauthentic – and being intentional, right? Inauthentic is I look at the way that these guys talk and I come in and I go, oh, yeah, you know, I spent my childhood in Brooklyn because I Googled a map and look, I got a little accent just like you. That's inauthentic. Or I've always wanted to work for a firm where everybody grew up in New York with Italians because my grandma's Italian and isn't, right? Yeah. That type of thing, totally inauthentic, very spotable, fact, matter of fact, but and, and frankly, totally unnecessary. But being intentional about it, sure. It, you know, I, I think you and I talk pre-show. I know this to be true based on a, a lot of experience with artists that come through the art of charm and things like that. It's uncomfortable often for people in general to sell themselves. It's very difficult for artists to do so because of the way that you, I should say we actually, considering my line of work, look at authenticity as a group Mm. and look at expression as a group. And it's just to adulterate it at all is blasphemy, right? But instead of – it's kind of like saying – the difference here is like this. You're not – you're not screwing with the process. It's kind of like saying that taking a picture of something ruins it. That's ridiculous, right? Sure. So so why is it that being intentional in the way that you communicate, why is that ridiculous or why is that uncalled for uh, when you're trying to get business for yourself so that you can survive to create your art? Right? It's it's not. It's just a way of looking at it. It would be different if 
in order to create that picture, you had to bulldoze the whole landscape so the horizon looked nicer. That would be destructive. <laughs> sure. Right? Oh, I'm looking for something a little more urban. Let me spray some graffiti on the front of the house. That would be destructive. But capturing the moment or communicating it, which is what you do as a photographer, you are making all kinds of changes to the lighting. You're waiting for the right time. You're waiting till people get the hell out of the way. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you're doing. Those things aren't inauthentic. You're just being intentional on in what you're capturing. And that's exactly what you're doing when you're selling yourself as a photographer or as any kind of artist. You're just setting up the right kind of circumstances so that it looks the best. And that, and, and by it, I mean you. Yeah, gold, man. Absolute pure gold. I, I'm so excited for everyone to, to hear this. Okay, so on this same kind of token, um, okay, so selling ourselves as photographers, again, it's so much more than just having like this portfolio and having the right work. We could be the most talented photographer in the world, but if we can't get people to trust us and just generally like us, we're, we're completely effed. So I guess what kind of tips do you have in regards to like establishing rapport and getting trying getting clients rather to trust you quickly. Yeah. Trust is a funny thing because it's really easy to break and it takes fricking forever to build. And I don't mean that necessarily on an individual basis. I mean that kind of as a reputational thing where, I mean, I'm sure every photographer in the world is now familiar with Yelp, right? Because I'm guessing that's where you either get a lot of business and spend a lot of your time hand wringing over the one a hole who wrote you an unfair review. That oh was my gosh! I'm st- I, did you? I'm still going through that right now. <laughs> like, are you inside my head? <laughs> yeah, I'm inside your head because uh, we get that too. I mean, I got an unfair Yelp review a couple years ago, and I remember it like it was yesterday because the rationale behind it was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard in my whole life and made no sense. And I replied to it, but you can't get mad in your reply because then you look like petty or guilty or whatever. So you have to, and it's kind of like, it just gives this pedestal to every jackass who half of who haven't even done business with you yet. And it's a, it's a problem, but it's also the greatest thing ever in a lot of ways because your true fans can come and back you up and write glowing reviews that you couldn't have even paid for. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's a double edged sword, but, uh, and and now I already forgot the question. Something to do with trust. Okay. Right. So, so and here, yes, we need, we both need a defense about Yelp, Um, (laughs) but it can be built up so slow or it has to be built up so slowly and it can be destroyed so quickly. In part, the way that we generate trust is through the authenticity that we mentioned before. And believe it or not, through really good nonverbal communication as a first impression. Verbal communication is an obvious win. So again, you know, go through, do the research on the client, figure out what they might want, bring those up as suggestions, have a little background on them, relating to them in the way that we just sort of explained with knowing what social class they are, what profession they are, goes a long way. And frankly, having confident, open, positive body language is huge. And I mean, you know, standing up straight, chest up, shoulders back, smile on your face. Don't exaggerate it. You'll look like an idiot. If they <laughs> but, you know, having that open body language is huge because I think a lot of people who are nervous, I don't think, I know a lot of people who are nervous will come up and they'll meet with somebody and they'll be, oh, well, it's a new person. Maybe there's a little eye contact problem or maybe they look down a lot or maybe they have their arms crossed or maybe they're a little bit closed off because, you know, social stuff, not everybody's forte. 
or fort as the word is actually pronounced. Uh, not everybody's strong suit. And especially if you're the artsy type, and I'm generalizing greatly here, but a lot of the photographer friends I know are pretty quiet people. And it would be very uncomfortable for them to go, here's why you need to hire me and no one else. And that can translate to a little bit of shyness in the moment, which it, it, it looks bad. And, and here's why. If I'm meeting with you to hire you as a photographer, potentially, and I ask you what the pricing is and your, your eye contact isn't quite there, you're a little bit closed off, I'm not thinking, oh, poor Ben Hartley, he's a little bit quiet. You know, He must really be an artsy guy. I'm thinking, <laughs> why, Ben, will you not just be straight with me right now? What is your problem? What surprise am I going to get when I see the invoice for this photography bill? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not giving you the benefit of the doubt here because I have options. And because why, why do that? I'm better safe than sorry. I don't know you, right? So once I see that you're open and friendly and I associate that with competence, especially if you've done your homework otherwise, I'm thinking, well, you know, I don't know all of the things being equal. I like that Ben guy. It's our wedding. We don't want some schmuck hanging out. Ben seemed like a social guy. He was okay. He's going to be an addition, not a detraction. So even if you're more expensive, I'd rather hire you because I trust you and like you. I'd rather do business with somebody I like and trust. I'd pay a premium for that. And the fact is, even people that say they won't often do. Find somebody who says, I would never pay for that and see if they use a Mac instead of a PC. See if they have an (laughs) iPhone. See if they have a smartphone at all. Do they really need email on their phone? No. They just wanted it. Right? People who think they won't pay premiums for those things are going to be terrible, terrible clients for you. Because they're going to go, you didn't say sales tax was going to be a thing here. I'm not paying you that. I thought this was a flat rate quote. But then you asked me to bring another photographer. Well, I know you didn't quote me on that. You're going to deal with that crap. And I know everybody out there, I know every one of your listeners, Ben, has dealt with a client like that if they've had any clients. Yeah. Wait, you, you didn't tell me that it was going to be this much. You said this. Well, yeah, per hour, duh. Yeah. You know, or it, yeah, but that was before you asked me to bring in all of the lighting myself and hire three assistants to set it up and come five hours beforehand. That was before that, you know, and I sent you an updated quote and we agreed on it. Well, yeah, but, you know, I didn't think that you were going to add X percent for, you know, there's always an issue. There's always an issue. But if you like, if you're dealing with people that you like and trust, you can work these things out. That's worth a premium on your end and it's worth a premium for the client. I never want to deal with somebody where I have to think, are they shoving wedding cake in their pockets or are we, do we have a square deal? And those are the kind of clients you want, I would assume. Yeah, for sure. I I love what you just alluded to here in that you're talking about how um how the way that you carry yourself, how your first impression, how um how your own like self-worth and like self-esteem actually directly affects the type of clients that you end up booking and it affects your price point. Like it's not just uh, excluded to, you know, how, how good is, how good are your photographs? Do you know what I mean? Um, and that is just a concept that I wish so many more, so many more photographers would, would grasp hold of is, is how much their own perception is affecting their branding and is affecting their price point. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's something that people don't really understand generally. And the reason is because we don't think about it that much because, we don't necessarily always put ourselves in other people's shoes, but if you, if you think about this, if think about it this way, say you need, 
Well, even even thinking about phones are kind of bad because it's very subjective. Some of us are tech geeks and some aren't. But when you look to buy things like a car, it's such a big high ticket item that most people aren't going, look, I just need the cheapest dang car that will get my kids to school. They're not doing that. Mm -hmm. They're going, look, all right, we're going to have this for a while. I want something that's comfortable. It's got to be safe. You know, there's that. And safety, what? You're going to take their word for it. That's the only option you have. Unless you're going to buy a hundred models of different cars each and run them into a brick wall, you're taking their word for what's safe and what's not, right? So you have to have a trust, a, a trusting relationship with that brand. That brand buys that from you by shoving advertising in your face, winning awards and through various different channels, social media all the way back onto engineering. You're a one-man show, most likely, if you're a photographer. So your your channel for that is getting people to like and trust you. That happens through nonverbal and verbal communication, your presentation to a lesser extent or to maybe an equal extent, your marketing materials. And last is probably the quality of your previous work. Amen. Yeah, amen, man. Jeez. All right, I want, to, I want to switch gears here for a second, Jordan. So a lot of photographers, another thing that I just see like plaguing this interest, industry is um, photographers uh, going online and comparing themselves to other photographers, right? We say that we want to go and get inspired by looking at somebody else's work, and then we just end up hating ourselves. I just think it's incredibly toxic. I know that you've written a ton about this, um, but what happens when you compare yourself to other successful people? Um, can you explain why this is so terrible for us to be doing? Uh, yeah, it, you know, it's funny. We um, it, we just talked about this in an article uh, on the art of charm, and I can't remember what it's like. Success, success needs no comparison, or something like that. I'm, in fact, um, I'm gonna get you the link here in a second. Awesome. What happens when I can compare myself to quote unquote successful people? True success needs no comparisons. That's the title, and I can get you the title of that if you want to link to it in the show notes here. But it's it's really interesting because you forget why you do what you're doing. You know, you start hating on other people in your head. It, and I don't know if I should speak for everybody, but I think a lot of us, we find that we're not really, we're not thinking, well, Ben started a podcast and it's going really well. Let's see how my podcast is doing. I want to make sure I'm doing better than him. Not everybody's doing that, but maybe they are at some degree doing that. If you get really successful, do you think all of your friends are going to be happy for you? Probably not. Some, you know, some of them will be, some of them secretly won't be, some of them won't secretly also won't be, whatever. <laughs> You're confusing you know? me now. <laughs> yeah, it's not so secretly won't be. They'll be the ones who overtly aren't happy for you. Um, and a few things happen. You forget your why. You mm. forget that you're doing a job that you enjoy. I doubt almost anybody listening is a photographer because they're like, ugh, I couldn't get my dream job selling CDs at Best Buy, so I had to do this stupid photography thing. Right? They're doing it because they enjoy it. Very few people would choose a really competitive market with, for an artistic job that's located, that's very much almost impossible to scale if they didn't like the idea that they could take pictures and make them look good for a living. Right? So you forget about the why. You become demotivated because of that because you just think, oh, man, you know, I'm never going to be – Who's the famous photographer? I don't even know. Uh, Leibovitz, right? Let's, just, let's say Ben Hartley. <laughs> just Hartley. kidding. They're going to be Ben Hartley. I'll go with that because it's your show. Um, 
And, you know, you start to wish that you were the other person. Uh, you forget that there are multiple ways to get to the same place. You think maybe you don't have what it takes. You know, there's a lot. Of, obviously, you're not happy during any of that process either, and you're not present. You think the other person has some sort of luck that you didn't get. Uh, you know, you, you, you forget the fact that you're going through the same paces and that uh, whatever sort of success you're seeing from other people might not be what it's cracked up to be. Do you think everybody's life looks like their Facebook feed? If you do, mm. you're kind of a dumbass, right? I mean, <laughs> and again, you know, they're putting their highlight reel up there. I'm not, I didn't put, I, we postponed the show earlier cause I had a slamming headache. Was that in my Facebook status? No, yeah. I don't want to put that up there. You know, if I, if I wake up and I slam my knee on the edge of the bed, do you think that goes into my social media feed? No. What goes into my social media feed is took a bike ride in the middle of the day. Love being an entrepreneur. I put that <laughs> crap in there, man. <laughs> that's what people want to hear. And that's the stuff I want to share. You know, I want to focus on that stuff, but it gets real easy because we're starting to compare our blooper reel to someone else's highlight reel. Yeah, yeah. And that's a huge problem for the reasons I just mentioned before. Mm. Yeah, man, that's like a great soundbite right there. <laughs> like I want to just like, I want to like have that in quotes above my desk just so I can remind myself that because I fall prey to it all the time, man. All the time. Wow. Um, both. I mean, I look at people like super successful folks like Tony Robbins and I'm like, what does that guy have that I don't have? And the answer, that's ludicrous. What he was running self-help seminars for hundreds of people while I was like looking for my first chin hair. <laughs> so it's ridiculous. You know, it's insane to, to put that kind of comparison into place. And of course I've got this image of him on stage filling up a stadium and me, you know, like, I don't know, scrubbing my toenails in the shower or something. And I'm like, I'm so far away. Right. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And people do that all the time. I just got back from an event called thrive in Vegas where I was speaking. And there were these people in the audience that were exactly like me going, oh, man, you know, you're so good at what you do. It's so awesome. Thanks for coming out and taking the time to talk to us. And I was just thinking, man, I was you like yet like five minutes ago. <laughs> it was me hanging out at one of these events being like, oh, my God, that's so cool you're here. I, that was literally yesterday at the latest was me doing that. Same thing. And it just seems so far away until you're up on that stage and you just think, Everybody can do this. Seriously. You just have to work really hard. And that's stuff that guys like Gary Vaynerchuk say. Mm. People hear it and they're like, oh, we're it's so easy, Gary. F you, man. You make <laughs> it sound so easy and it's hard. And it's not. You, you, know? you sounded exactly like a Gary hater right there. I like that. That was a perfect yeah. impression, man. <laughs> I used to be a Gary hater. I was like, look at this schmo being like, oh, it's hard. Just hustle. No, man, you know, it's, there's, look at all these reasons why I'm special and it's harder for me and it's all baloney, you know? And now I love Gary because even though I think, yes, you say what you will about the production value of some of his YouTube crap or whatever, but <laughs> what he's saying is totally true yeah. most of the time. Anyway, I don't know anything about wine, so take that with a grain of salt, but everything he says about business, totally true in my experience. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So, um, I want to hop over to a couple quick questions that I'm, I'm hearing all the time and I would love to have your expertise on how to respond to these because I think maybe this has to do with the, the artist. Uh, and again, I'm generalizing here as well, but a lot of artists being introverted, being just a little bit more shy, a little bit more, eh, maybe awkward, but should, should an introverted, you know, artist, uh, photographer, business owner, ultimately, should they be working to become more extroverted 
or should they embrace like their introverted tendencies and work around them? What, what do you say to people who are introverted and yet they're trying to figure out how to win others over? You don't need to be extroverted to be able to do this. Uh, in fact, I'm also technically an introvert in a lot of ways. Introvert is kind of this buzzword that's become like a medical excuse to not talk to anybody. <laughs> and it's total BS. All it means is that your downtime is spent with some me time where you might read or check your Facebook or whatever. Whereas extroverts spend their downtime chatting with their friends on the phone or they stop by someone's house to hang out and do something or they just go out in public and hang, right? That's extra. That's all it is. It has to do with how you spend your downtime relaxing has very little to do with your ability to be social. Now, the where it correlates is that if you're an extrovert and you've spent all of your downtime relaxing with 10 of your closest friends hanging out at a bar, you might have a little bit more social prowess than somebody who spent an equal number of hours reading books alone in their house. Mm-hmm. Now, that said, all that is is nurture. It has nothing to do with nature. Mm-hmm. And so if you're antisocial to the point where you have anxiety talking to other people, yeah, you need to work on your social skills. doesn't mean you have to become an extrovert or even fake being one. It means you have to figure out where you can make yourself more comfortable and do it. And that's largely what we teach at The Art of Charm. But even extroverts, there are plenty of people that are extroverted that are not charming, great, charismatic people. They just happen to be the ones that, in fact, everybody knows an extrovert that will not shut the hell up. <laughs> at family party, they're always making those dumb jokes. And you're like, oh, God, Uncle Steve, look, no one likes you. We invite you because we have to. But that's the only reason you're here. Everybody's got an Uncle Steve, okay? So it doesn't mean you have to become Uncle Steve. In fact, you should not become Uncle Steve just because you feel like that's what you need to do to do business. What you do need to do, though, is stop going, well, I'm an introvert, so palms up, shrug it off, never going to be successful in life. I mean, fine, keep leaning on that, but do not email me in five years or email you, Ben, in five years crying about how your business is languishing because you never bothered to go out and sell it and nobody realizes what a genius you are artistically. Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. sure you get those. No, I'm a better I, photographer than anyone I know. Why aren't I making money? Well, because you're an a-hole. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think what you said, too, about like, uh, being an extrovert does not automatically qualify you as as being charming or <laughs> or being likable or being trustworthy. You know, like uh, actually, in a lot of ways, I think that you know some of the most uh, extroverted, outgoing people I know have the least control um, on on their ability to like, um, I guess maybe distinguish social interactions, you know? Um, and so I think to lean on the whole introverted thing as a crutch is, uh, it's a really interesting spin on it. Well, thank you. Yeah, I love it. Okay. So I got, I, I got, um, let's see here. One, maybe two more questions. If we have time, I, I've been skipping around here, man. This is just so good. I got one that I want to make sure that we actually, that we actually spend time on that we delve into here for a minute, because this is for me, the number one thing that I am always, that I'm always being um, asked questions about. And then I'm always trying to figure out uh, really the right answer for, and I've been dying to actually just get a chance to talk to you about it. So here we go. Um, photographers all the time, they're writing to me and they just, they're just not confident in their work. Maybe they're comparing themselves to other people. I don't know, but they're, they're not confident in their own, like their own, I guess, self. So 
these limiting beliefs that they're telling themselves they're not good enough, that they're not good enough to, uh, to charge X amount, they're not good enough to raise their prices. Um, I, I guess I know that you deal a lot with limiting beliefs um, and, and how people kind of really address this. So how can people overcome these feelings of inadequacy and really start to build confidence in their work? You know, this, what you're kind of mentioning right now is called imposter syndrome. And it's super common among pretty much every human. <laughs> uh, there was a, a friend of mine, Olivia Fox Cabani, who raised a lot about charisma. She routinely talks at places like Harvard and she goes, how many of you think that you are the one weird mistake that the admissions committee made? You don't belong here. Everyone else is smarter than you. Mm -hmm. And you're just waiting until you get discovered and maybe they kick you out or you graduate and you can relax. And like 99 out of a hundred people raise their hand. Hmm. And the other one is that guy that no one likes, right? <laughs> but there's, that happens everywhere. And you'll be talking with new speakers that are going up in front of 400 people. And they're like, I just don't know what value I have to offer. You know, I hope it goes well. Or you'll hear about somebody who has, let me tell you a perfect example. A long time ago, I had a client who thought he was really boring and he had just gotten back uh, from a theater of war. And he was like, look, I, I have so much trouble meeting people, making new friends. I just don't have anything to say. And I said, well, you know, you're coming back from the military. What'd you do in the military? He says, man, I'm just a truck driver. And I said, oh, okay, where were you a truck driver? Afghanistan. Well, what kind of truck did you drive? Oh, I drove a fuel truck. See, there's nothing to talk about here. And I said, well, you drove a fuel truck in Afghanistan. Did you ever have any, like, incidents? Any, you know, Taliban ever attack you or anything like that? And he goes, oh, yeah, all the time. I'm driving a fuel truck uh, a couple months ago before I got home. And, you know, they shot a rocket-propelled grenade and hit the Humvee near in front of me. And that flipped over or something like that. I'm, you know, making up the details here. And, you know... What we have to do then is, you know, navigate that. And I go, what, what do you do? And he goes, man, at that point, you just step on the gas, turn up the volume on your iPod and get the hell out of there. And I was like, and you think you have nothing to say in conversations with people ever? No stories. That's what he thought. Yeah. And he's like, well, I didn't know that would be interesting because everybody around him was doing the same thing and they were sick of hearing about it or just because that was his reality. So it becomes baseline. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people there who think – well, you know, look, I'm a photographer, but there's not a whole lot that's interesting about it. Well, where'd you go take your last few pictures? Well, you know, I just do wedding stuff. Well, what's your favorite thing you've ever photographed? Oh, I did an African safari and got a couple lions. What? That's amazing. That's mind-blowing to like 99% of the Western population. <laughs> that, you know, but it's it becomes baseline for you because you did it. It was three years ago. You're sick of talking about it, maybe, or you think it's pretty mundane, or a lot of your friends were there with you, so they don't want to hear about it. That's that's what you kind of need to keep in mind is that I hate using this type of phraseology, but you, you know, everybody's a special snowflake. That's kind of BS, but everybody does have their own experiences and, and thoughts to bring to the table that are of value. You know, I get listener feedback from my show, the art of charm all the time where somebody goes, Hey, brand new listener here. I'm sure there's a reason you don't do X, Y, and Z, but I just thought about it. So if you ever feel like doing X, Y, and Z, you know, just, just keep it in mind. And I think to myself, how did I not think of that like eight years ago? Yeah. How did I, how did that never occur to me to put that in there? Why would I have not thought about that? That's unbelievable. This random 19 year old kid just totally thought of that. And I had no clue, you know, and, and he, what he wrote is, I'm sure there's a reason you don't do this. And the reason is, yeah, because I've been doing it the same way for so long. I don't even think about it anymore. Hmm. 
right? And the same thing goes for our arc. The same thing goes for, I mean, there is, there are tons of different reasons that we think that what we have is not good enough or won't be good enough or can't be good enough. And pretty much all of them are invalid. Hmm. So how do we, I mean, like, apart from like logically uh, working through that, are, are there any other recommendations that you have? And maybe it is, maybe it's just like a, like, recognizing that like, well, yeah, there's, you know, photography is one of the largest growing industries in the world and everybody I know is a photographer, but I'm different. Maybe that's all it is, but do you have any other maybe like suggestions that, uh, that we can do to like help to, (laughs) to like recognize that? Um, you know, for recognizing your value, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, or maybe even just like gaining, gaining that confidence and gaining that, yeah, that confidence in like what, what we have to offer, what I specifically have to offer. Um, it's tough because it comes down to trust, self-trust. And the way that you build that comes from setting out to do things and accomplishing them. So, and I know that sounds really sort of arbitrary slash really vague or basic, but what it means is this, it means you're going to start a photography business the way you build self-trust is get the website handled, go out, start hustling for clients, take pictures, get feedback from them that they're good, have them refer you to other people. Whatever you need to do to build that business, you do it. Because what happens is a lot of people who think, oh, well, you know, I can't really do this, they don't do that stuff. They self-sabotage. And then what that leads to is, see, look, I've been doing this for half a year and I have no clients. Well, how do they find you? I don't know. I don't really, you know, I'm not a good web guy. Uh, I don't really know. I don't want to ask people for referrals. It's weird. Well, of course you have no clients. Why would that even surprise you at that point that you have no clients? However, if you're doing all of those things, you will eventually get some success and you lean on that success because it's irrefutable evidence that you are able to do this. And that is a self, that's a sort of self-reaffirming or positive feedback loop, right? You get, it's, it's kind of like how when you're young, you know, you might think, wow, I, I can't play football. It looks hard. I don't know the rules. It looks tough. You suit up, you go out there, you get knocked around and you try again and you get up and you realize, wow, everybody's kind of in the same boat and some of the bigger kids are better and some of the smaller kids are not as good and I'm faster and I got this strength and I got that strength and this other thing isn't my strength but I can work on it or I can ignore it and leverage my, leverage my strengths. You have to do that in your business too. If you don't do that, you just think, oh, well, you know, I can't do this because X, Y, Z and you start looking for the reasons that, and the evidence that you can't and the evidence becomes something that you start to build for yourself like no website, not asking for referrals not hustling for clients, doing crap work when you get clients to reaffirm your existing belief that it's not good. Mm. So if you can fight that process, which for some people is tough and for others it's not, it's, it, the pro tip is it's easier to start with a bang than it is to try to dig yourself out of a pit. Mm. Um, because then you don't, you don't have that background of, well, I've been screwed up for the last three years. You go, I'm starting this, I'm doing it. Right? You, dig, you, you, you can't dig yourself out of that pit as easily, although it is possible. So you continue to you continue to work at this. You get that positive feedback going, and then suddenly, look, I can do this. I I didn't start podcasting going, oh, man, you know what? I'd be such a great radio host. I was sitting in AJ's, my friend's basement, my old uh, business, uh, co-host and current business partner, sitting in the basement, 
yapping. The audio quality was terrible. I look. I would never. You, there's not enough money. The Queen of England doesn't have enough money to make me listen to one of my earlier shows. I'm sure this is the same with photographers. They look at one of their earlier shots and they're like, "This is a complete piece of crap." Yeah. Right? Um, but I now know that if I someone's like, "Hey, I want to interview you," I don't go, "Oh man, I don't know if I can do a whole radio interview. It sounds really complicated. I could do this with my eyes closed." Oh, literally, I could. <laughs> yeah, and I think what you're getting at, too, is that I think it also starts – I love what you said about these these little successes, like focusing on these little successes that like loop and they build to bigger successes. But I think also we can address that, too, like outside of whatever it is that we're trying to gain confidence in. Like I don't think we have to focus as photographers entirely on, on our business or the photography side of things. Like I think like – um, me getting up and like taking a shower and making my bed and getting to work on time, like can be a small success that I can see. Uh, and it continues just to uh, like allow myself to, to trust, <laughs> to trust me more, you know, to take on more and more like responsibilities. Yeah. Well, I don't know how to react to that. So just gonna... <laughs> well, no, I guess like ultimately, you know, it's like just these little things. I think so often we just get like so kind of like, uh, I don't know, we, we just we just don't think that we are worth much of anything. And so like the idea of of like building our self-worth and building our own trust in ourselves, like I think it has to start in the mundane. I think it has to start with just like, you know, if I say I'm going to email someone, like I need to do it and I need to do it on time. If I say I'm going to call somebody at two on Wednesday and I, and I call them at three on Wednesday, I start to lose faith in myself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and just those little things of like following through uh, really help to build our own like self-esteem and self-worth then to take that and actually deliver it into the, into whatever niche that we need to actually bring it into, I guess was the, the point I'm trying to get to. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it's, it's, it is the minutia, the minutiae or whatever, <laughs> if you can use that little AE Latin character, because it's, it's not just, look, I delivered this project and it was awesome. Did you return phone calls on time? Are you punctual with your email? Does your website function? Are you ignoring it? Are you returning client lead calls? Are you showing up to the meetings and paying attention to the client? Are you calling people after the work is done to make sure they're satisfied? Because if you're not doing that and you know you should be, then you start to think to yourself, well, I'm not really pro it. Like, I'm not taking it real seriously. Yeah. You know, I'm just kind of doing it to do it, but buddy. That's not how you do, that's not how you become a master of your craft. And I maybe shouldn't speak for photographers, but I will say this. Uh, if you're not doing all the surrounding work to be a professional photographer, that has nothing to do with picking up a camera or the lights. Like if you're not cutting payroll on time for your assistants, if you're not returning client calls who have questions, if you're not sending, I don't know, do you send proofs and they pick the ones they like and you retouch those? Sure, you some know, people do, you, yeah. Yeah, if you're not doing that in a timely fashion, you're not a professional. You're a freaking hack and you're a wannabe and you're a entrepreneur and that's why you're not successful because you know you're supposed to do that stuff, but you're not doing it not just because you know you can get away with it or think you can get away with it, but because you don't want to put in 110% and then still screw it up and then have to account for that. That's why. Yeah, man. Tough love. I freaking love tough love and I think our audience needs it too. Dude, Jordan, thank you so much, man. Thank you so much for your time today. In the midst of a headache, I really just appreciate it. Dude, where can people find out more about you, Jordan? Uh, I'm at theartofcharm.com, but frankly, people can email me, Jordan, at theartofcharm.com. That said, you're listening to a podcast, so what I would love is if people 
rolled in and just listened to the art of charm and told me what they think about it, good or bad dive in. And I mean, we, every little minutiae, I'm going to overuse that word all day. Now, (laughs) every little point that I have made during the show, I've probably done one to two solid hours of content on, on my podcast over the last eight and a half years. So there's, if any of this was even remotely interesting to you, start diving into, you know, the artotron.com slash best uh, is where I have best of or the toolbox at slash toolbox. I've got, we have so much stuff there that if you can't find something of value there, it's because you don't speak English. <laughs> so more specifically, so like for someone who's, who's landing on your site, they're going to your podcast, they're just finding your, your content. Is there any like specific episode or episodes that you would recommend that my audience start with if they, you think they might get a lot of value from? Um, you know what? I would say that going to the best of page is a good sampler platter because th- there we have things like negotiation and there's some networking stuff. If people want to search for networking, in fact, I think even slash networking will do it. We've got a whole course on networking. If people are really like, oh, I need to learn that. We've got a whole course on that. Um, so I think that's a great place to start. The toolbox stuff is more like really nuanced body language, vocal tonality, eye contact. And that might be a little bit more male focused because it's, it was started with a dating idea in mind or male socialization anyway, in mind, it still applies to women though. I mean, everything we do is unisex, but I would say the best of is a great place to start. Cause that's where you're going to see a lot of networking and business stuff. Awesome. Awesome. Perfect. We'll make sure to put that in the show notes, uh, links to that. So Jordan, thank you again so much for your time, man. Um, I, I'm super excited for everyone to get into this and uh, just appreciate everything that you've done. Great. Thank you so much, man. Thanks, Jordan. Talk later. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. I love what Jordan said about how we are often comparing our blooper reel to everybody else's highlight reel, right? We look on their Facebook feed uh, or on their website, on their portfolio, and we're comparing all of our, you know, letdown moments to that and how just crushing that can be. Stay focused on yourself. Stay focused on your goals. Stay focused on growing your own business and brand and, and look to those little successes every day to build upon growth greater and greater successes, help to lift our own self-esteem. You guys, thank you so much for supporting the Six Figure Photography Podcast. It helps us to just continue to bring you guys amazing content, so keep listening. Head on over to sixfigurephotography.com to find more amazing podcast episodes and blog posts there. You guys, we will talk very soon. Thanks again.